Today's guest is Erin Fitzgibbons. She's a deputy program manager for USCIS at Octo Consulting Group. Erin is also the president-elect of the Emerging Leaders for AFCIA Bethesda, the communications chair of the Emerging Technology Community of Interest for ACT-IAC, and finally, but not uh, finally last, because she's always involved in something new, she is the GAP chair, and GAP is a uh, kind of fellowship group that she can explain for those who've gone through the associates uh, program at ACT-IAC, and also her class liaison for GAP. Aaron and I know each other from the ACT-I community, and it's always a joy to catch up with you. So thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the invite. So for those who haven't met you or gone to a happy hour or worked with you, talk a bit about your background. Uh, where are you from, who you are, and what you do? Sure. So I am originally from Massachusetts. I always like to point out that I am from Western Massachusetts, not Boston, which is what most people think of when they think of Massachusetts. Um, but I did go to college, a small liberal arts school right outside of Boston, and moved to D.C. three weeks after graduating. Hmm. Um, I had no job lined up. I had a place to live in a house with people I did not know and kind of assumed I would only be in DC for a year. Um, and I am going on year eight at this point. So <laughs> I was just slightly off there. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So how did you decide which school to go to and which program to get into? So I knew I wanted a small liberal arts school because I didn't really know what I wanted to study and kind of what career path I wanted to take. Mm -hmm. um, I had narrowed it down to pretty much staying in New England with a couple of exceptions on schools on the East Coast. Uh, I think I looked at 23 schools and the school I ended up going to was the first school I looked at. So everything was kind of a comparison to that. Sure. Um, and it was, you know, a great experience and it worked out absolutely perfectly for what I was looking for. And I ended up majoring in European history ah. with a minor in business and marketing because I thought that would make me employable. That's very wise. It's a very wise thing. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I where would you go for European history? I guess uh, schools and. Yeah. So everyone, the, everyone would always ask, you know, oh, so you wanted to be a teacher with a, a history degree. And I never wanted to be a teacher. It's just that by the time I had to declare my major, I had already taken a bunch of history courses because that's what I was interested in. That makes sense. Yeah. So how did you end up in your first job? My first job post-grad, I'm assuming we're talking yes. since I've been working for several years before that. Um, so when I moved to DC, as I mentioned, I did not have a job. Um, over the summer, I had an internship part-time and I was also working part-time at a bookstore to pay the bills. And while I was doing that, I was trying to make connections with, you know, alumni, um, with people I knew who knew people in DC. So it was a lot of awkward coffee meetings, talking to people in different industries, trying to navigate my way into DC to meet these people at places I had never heard of, and then trying to find the stranger in the crowd. 
Um, and someone I met sent my resume to someone they knew who sent my resume to someone they knew who sent it to someone they knew. And it ended up in this pile, uh, for basically what was an office administrator or it coordinator position at a small GovCon firm. Hmm. Um, so I got a call one evening from a number that I did not recognize answered it. And they were like, Hey, I'm calling for this company. We got your resume. We want to set up an interview. I'm frantically Googling, trying to figure out what this company does, who they are, how they got my resume, um, went in for the interview. And that is how I landed my first job in DC. Wow. All right. So, yeah. so you've mentioned twice and I, I should ask this question first, why DC? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was in college, I studied abroad in Vienna, Austria for a semester. And one of my roommates and I became very good friends. We stayed in touch after our semester abroad. She went to Catholic University of America. And when we were about to graduate, probably a couple months before, she was like, hey, um, friends and I are going to get this house. We have an extra room. Are you interested in moving down here? Hmm. I was like, well, I don't really want to move back in with my parents. No offense, mom and dad, but uh, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. And then two days before graduation, she called me and said, hey, I actually just accepted a position to teach abroad, so I'm not going to be living in the house. But at that point, the lease had already been signed. Uh, the U-Haul had already been rented. So I drove down to DC and moved into the house. And that is that is how I ended up here. Wow. Wow. So then how did that role um, at your first GovCon company, how, how did that work out for you? You know, it was an interesting experience not knowing anything about GovCon. Um, I was working in the corporate office doing general office administrator tasks, helping out with the different departments. Um, so sitting in my first business development meeting with a like, proposal talk going on, I had no idea what was happening. So it was a lot of learning just about the industry and how things worked. And um, the folks there were super great at taking the time to explain to me, sitting down with me and really trying to understand what I wanted to do with my career. Um, once I moved into, you know, the office admin role and then it was an office manager role and then it was, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I think maybe I want to do marketing because I had done a little bit of it before I had interned at a, you know, a PR firm. So that was kind of what I knew and what I thought I wanted to continue to do. And they were very open to that. Um, so I started doing some marketing and communications. And that is oddly how I learned how to be a scrum master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we decided that um, being a small company, we wanted to get our name out there a little bit more on social media and just engage with the broader community. So we wanted to publish like an article or something on a monthly basis. So two of our agile SMEs from one of our contracts said, well, hey, this would be a great opportunity to incorporate some agile processes into our back office. Let's start with the marketing team. So we took our time building out the backlog. We had our 
uh, DSUs, except they weren't DSUs because we didn't do them every day. They were sporadic. Um, they taught me how to refine the backlog, plan things out, who was doing what. Um, and after about a year of doing that, there was an opportunity to actually work as a scrum master part-time on a client-facing project. Nice. So then at what point did you decide you wanted to, to change companies? Um, it was around the time I had been on the customer side for about six months and I wanted to be compensated accordingly for that. As, as we will, right? Yep. Um, and that was not on the plate at the time. So I decided that I wanted to make the move to a larger company where I could do Scrum Master work full time. Interesting. And so then was the finding of that company, I mean, this first one found you, how did, how did you find the second one? Yeah, I knew the name and I was like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. I didn't really have a process. Um, clearly things just kind of happen. I'm not great at making decisions as my story might indicate. Um, but I applied for that. I applied for two other companies that were kind of in the midsize and large because I had been with the small and I wanted to see how the experience differed from the small at a larger company. Hmm. So once you got there, was it different? It was different. It was a short-lived experience because <laughs> it was so different. Um, but I did learn a lot at that second company, um, you know, being at a large company coming from like a very small company where you know everyone, you have good relationships with everyone. I realized that's what I like. I like knowing people. I like having those personal relationships. And although I was able to make some great connections there, ultimately it just wasn't a good fit for my overall preference of a job environment. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing that you bring up. I mean, it's not uncommon, right, for people to, to have a job change, uh, consider uh, the size of the company compared to where they are. Maybe they're at a large and they want to try a small or they're at a small, they want to try a large and realize that they it, it's just not per, a perfect fit for them. Um, yeah, but you you don't know until you try. Um, you know, I'm grateful for the company I started out with. They gave me a lot of opportunities and really helped me launch my career. And I'm grateful for the opportunities and the experience I had at the large company. It just didn't end up being what I wanted or what I needed at that point in my career. So what brought you to Octo? Yes. So after being at the big company, I decided I want wanted to be at a mid-sized company because I had done the big and I had done the small. Uh, felt kind of like uh, Goldilocks and the three bears with the bowls of porridge. Um, and I actually met someone in ACT-IAC. We were at an event and I was talking to him and mentioned that I was looking for a new role. I had been doing the scrum master work um, full time for about a year and a half. And he said, oh, send me a resume. I know someone who's hiring. So it was a referral and it was actually to Savitech, which got acquired by Octo about 
six months after I joined and it was mid pandemic. Mm. So I had my interview for Sevatec February, 2020. Oh, fun. Yep. It was in person. I remember it clear as day. Um, and then of course, with the clearance process, I started in May. Mm. So I was actually up at my parents' house. I ended my job on a Friday afternoon at the dining room table and started my new job Monday morning uh, at the dining room table as well. Yeah, that is the that is a story many people will have to tell in the years to come that the COVID hiring process, starting a new company, trying to figure out how to navigate the people and the culture through a virtual means is is not uh, necessarily fun. It's definitely a challenge. especially when you're in a role that requires you to work so closely with your team members. And the project I joined at USCIS uh, with Savatech, there were no video calls. It was all voice. So there are people who I did not see on video, did not meet in person for the first 18 months I supported that project. Yeah, that is just a different experience. And it's not to say we can't do it, right? We could, right? And we all love, those of us who live in the D.C. area, I love not commuting. What's not the love about that? I mean, traffic and avoiding the traffic and and being able to go from meeting to meeting without having to go three floors to get to the next conference room. There's a lot of positives, but uh, it does does, uh, reflect well on you if you made that change and you were successful. I like to think I was. (laughs) Of course you were. (laughs) <laughs> so what got you so you, you, was it at uh, Octo that you did the uh the program with ACTIAC? So I have done two programs with ACTIAC. I graduated from Associates in 2018, so that was with my first company, and then I graduated from the Voyagers program this past May and that was through Octo. So not everybody who listens to my podcast actually even know what those are. T- talk a little okay. bit about them. Sure. So ACT-IAC is a nonprofit that is focused on bringing together government and industry to talk about and solve today's, you know, technical challenges and what might come in the future and how we can collaborate together to solve those issues and challenges. The associates program is designed for folks who are early in their career think it's one to five years. Um, So new to the uh, industry or new to government, kind of just getting started out in their career. And it's really essentially a leadership development program. Um, It was really beneficial for me going through it to learn more about the industry because we did deep dives on well, what does it mean to bid a contract? What does it mean to win a proposal? How do you effectively communicate public speaking? Um, so it was great experience for me to go through that while I was still new to the industry. I think I was three years into it. And if I didn't have colleagues who were involved with act who pushed me to apply to it, um, I think my involvement today would be a lot different. Oh, absolutely. And then Voyagers. Let's talk about Voyagers because I've never done Voyagers. So Voyagers is 
mid-career. So I believe it's supposed to be like seven to 15 years of experience. Um, kind of those folks who are preparing to get to the next level of their career. Uh, government means, you know, you might be wanting to go into an SES position at some point. So the curriculum for Voyagers is focused around the executive core qualifications. It's a somewhat similar program to the partners program. You're placed in groups of four and partnered with someone who is the opposite of you. So I was partnered with someone from government. Then the group of four is to government, to industry. You work together to plan a class session around one of those core qualifications. And then talk a little bit about GAP. And that's why I really wanted all that background, right? Because you are the you are kind of leading GAP for the most part, co-leading co it. Talk yes. a little bit about GAP. So when someone graduates from the Voyagers or Partners program, they become an ACT-IAC fellow. When you graduate from the Associates program, you say, I graduated from the Associates program. And that didn't really feel fair to me because at that point I had not gone through the Voyagers program. So I was not an ACT-IAC fellow. So uh, one of the other people in my class and I had stayed in touch and we went to professional development at ACT-IAC and said, hey, we've gone through you know eight classes, eight years of associates. We have a very strong alumni network. A lot of these people are starting to move into these management positions, moving their way up in their career. We should have a group of folks for them to reach out to, to connect with, who have all had this shared experience of going through the associates program. So we started GAP, which is the Graduate Associates Program, in the middle of the pandemic, which not the best call, but we're, you know, making it through. A lot of it was virtual for the first year and a half. We're slowly starting to get into some in-person events. And uh, we're going on 10 years of associates. So we have a celebration in January. And it's a group of over 200 people who have completed the associates program and are now part of this GAP community. That's amazing. And that's awesome. I agree with you. When I learned about the fellows and how associates didn't have something of, of similar nature that I felt that was a, a bit unfair as well. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's going to be, and I appreciate, I appreciate you because you took the initiative and created something that now is going to be beneficial to, to a lot of people. So that's awesome. So what's, uh, as you've gone through your career, you've, you've had, you know, a, a journey of sorts, and now you've actually got to taste something not everybody does small, mid and, and large businesses. What's something you've witnessed that if we were to come to you, Aaron, and say, Aaron, you have the power today to make us either change something right out or, or at least consider that change. What's something you would change about the way um, things went as you were starting your career? Yeah, I think I got lucky because I found a company that was willing to take a chance on me, even though I did not have a technical background. And I think that more companies need to be open-minded about the background and the experiences that folks have. They may not be technical. They may have not been in this field before. It may be brand new to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't contribute. They can't be successful. They can find a role 
within this industry. Even if you aren't technical, you can still do business analysis work. You can support proposals. You can do contracts management. There is a learning curve there, but you can learn at any job. It's expected. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to develop new skill sets. And I think sometimes if we don't see that experience on someone's resume, we automatically dismiss them. That's a great suggestion. That's certainly something that I think uh, both government and industry should consider when they're looking at candidates to help make sure. Well, it's also going to make sure we get up maybe a broader spectrum of, of representation as well by not locking in on certain things. Absolutely. You have a more diverse talent pool. You have a broader range of experience backgrounds, um, you know, that people can draw from and bring different perspectives to the IT industry is always changing and we need to accommodate those folks who want to help us change it. Yeah. So what's next for you? I noticed, you know, when we, in our introduction, you're president elect for FCA uh, yep. leaders. Is is that coming up pretty soon? Um, it'll be July, I believe, um, when that transition occurs. So definitely looking forward to that role. Um Still trying to wrap my head around it because I only recently got involved with FCA and then kind of a sudden all the way to the top. Um, but there's a great board in place now. We're doing some great work. We have some exciting events coming up um, in the future. And then in July, I will officially take the reins, I guess, uh, for the remainder of 2023 into 2024. Um, so that's on the FCA front, uh, planning to continue my involvement with ACT-IAC, with the communications chair role for the emerging tech COI, and of course, GAP. Um, I have a couple of people trying to convince me to do associates leadership, but <laughs> I don't know if I have the bandwidth for that right now. I don't know if I need to add another ACT-IAC thing to my plate at the present time. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I might be one of those people poking uh, to get you to do that soon. Well, you know, if you're doing it again, Jeremy, that might be the selling point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We'll, we'll, January will tell. All right. All right. We can discuss it. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Aaron. It's really always uh, uh, fun to get to to talk, interact with you. You're you're got a bright personality. You're you've got a lot going for you, and so I'm always looking forward to seeing what's next for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Uh, really appreciate the invite. And, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and run into you at all of our events.